and welcome to the Feeling Good Podcast, where you can learn powerful techniques to change the way you feel. I am your host, Rhonda Borowski, and joining me here in the Murrieta studio is Dr. David Burns. Dr. David Burns is a pioneer in the development of cognitive behavioral therapy and the creator of the new teen therapy. He is the author of Feeling Good, which has sold over 5 million copies in the United States and has been translated into over 30 languages. David is currently an emeritus adjunct professor of clinical psychiatry at Stanford University School of Medicine. Hello, David. Hello, Rhonda. We have two special guests again on this podcast, episode 174, Steve Reinhardt and his lovely wife, Barb. Hi. How are you guys? Hi, Rhonda. Hi, David. Hi, Steve. Thank you so much for having us. Hello, Barbara. Hi. It's such a pleasure to be here. Yes, Pleasure we're honored. to have both of you. It's an honor to have both yeah, of you today. Definitely an honor. Well, before we get started, I thought I'd read another um, oh, cool. commemorative letter that someone wrote. Not commemorative. That sounds like, that sounds bad. But another. <laughs> <laughs> On but... the passing of Dr. Burns. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <I know. laughs> we'll always remember him. Now what's on today's podcast? <laughs> well, this is a, a joyous letter from Alita who writes, Hi there. I stumbled across the Feeling Good book and I found it to be an incredible resource. After starting um, the book, I randomly came across the podcast online and knew that David's work was consistently appearing in my life for a reason. I'm a social worker who is looking for additional training to grow my skill set, and David's work really resonates with me. I live in Ontario, Canada, Canada, and I'm trying to figure out if there is training available for me to participate in. I've been on the website several times, but I've had a hard time navigating it to find what is available. Are there any online professional trainings I can attend? I know David mentioned on the podcast there are some free ones as well as paid. Thanks, Alita. Well, let me address that. And thank you, uh, Alita, for the kind email. There's a lot of paid and free online trainings. Now, uh, right here on my own website, there's the Feeling Good podcast, which have free training and self-help for for everybody. Uh, and if you, uh, by the way, someone sent a link to the page on my podcast. I mean, the Feeling Good podcast page on my website. It lists all 170 or whatever podcasts with the description and the links. And somebody sent it out to their emailing list earlier this week. And it made tremendous uh, 400% increase in traffic in terms of podcast downloads and, and website traffic to my website. And so if you want to do that, same thing. If you have an email group you belong to, you could send them out a link uh, to uh, the Feeling Good podcast on my website, www.feelinggood.com, and, and send it out to your people because... It's for therapists, for the general public, and whatever web emailing list you're a member of, uh, at least a third of those people on any given day are depressed or anxious. And so the, the podcasts are all entirely free, and there's a lot of other free resources as well. Now, in terms of uh, paid or free formal training, the uh, on February 9th, I'm going to do a one-day workshop for mental health professionals, primarily on therapeutic resistance with Dr. Jill Levitt. That's uh, February 9th, 2020. And you can join that online from anywhere in the world. I'm going to do a four-day intensive in Edmonton, Canada 
in July, I'm going to do a four-day intensive at the South San Francisco Conference Center in August. And then if you could just go to the Feeling Good Institute website, www.feelinggoodinstitute.com, they have tons of ongoing uh, online trainings, introduction to Team CBT, uh, free one-line uh, webinars, uh, paid ones uh, that are not expensive, by the way, offer a fabulous training. So there's, there's a lot a lot of options available for you. And now to get in today's fabulous, I hope, podcast. Podcast episode. Featuring you, Steve, and your wife, Barbara. And uh, Well, thanks. Thank you, David. Uh, I was really surprised at uh, uh, getting your invitation to be here with you. Uh, pleasantly surprised. And um, uh, and I'm a little bit embarrassed because uh, I'm following up Amir and I have like zero education compared to him. Uh, I've got a lot of different experience, uh, but... That's one of our, our, our themes, yeah. our three big themes today. You, let, let's start out on that one. I had heard about six months ago or a year ago, because people are always writing in saying, can coaches get involved in the team CBT certification program. And then, then someone say, oh, Angela Crum, who's the head of that at the Feeling Good Institute, has uh, changed the policy and people who are certified coaches can now get involved in the program. And then I learned just in the last day or two, it was because of you that they, that they changed that policy. And I was thrilled to hear that for for a couple reasons one even when i was a college student there was this huge controversy can non-mds become psychoanalysts mm. and there was this thing of lay psychoanalysts that didn't have to have, have medical training and it was controversial at the time but it kind of made sense to me i went through and did my formal medical training and i can say that I, I don't think I ever learned anything in, in medical school that is all helpful to me as a, as a psychiatrist, uh, uh, helping people, mm. uh, and, and very little that, that I learned in my uh, five years or six years of psychiatric residency and, and postdoctoral fe fellowship. And that it seem, it seems to me that med they always said, oh, all these things are medically caused. And I had over 40,000 therapy sessions I've had with people with severe depression and anxiety. And I can't remember that I ever had one session of, of something that was a medically caused depression or anxiety. It was just this propaganda, I guess, or just this false, false belief. And even, as you know, Rhonda, in our Tuesday group at Stanford, and, and now that you're the honored guest, of course, you don't have any chance to talk. You just sit and watch. <laughs> no, I'm listening. I'm listening. <laughs> but uh, we, we have people from, from all backgrounds. We, we've got people with, you know, multiple <laughs> doctor's degrees. We, we had one in Philadelphia in my training group there who had three doctor's degrees. Wow. He had a medical degree and two PhDs. Wow. Mm -hmm. And, and the people who have learned the best have been people with little or no training. And the reason for that is like this Buddhist idea, you know, do you want to be a, you know, the empty cup is better than the full cup because it'll hold wine. And, and that's made so much sense to me because the people who come to the Tuesday group for training or to my workshops, 
uh, a lot of them, I mean, they've written books that, that they have all this training they believe in that gets in the way of learning. And uh, so I was just delighted. Mm -hmm. T tell us a little about uh, your, your own work, your own counseling, and uh, um, where you stand on, on, on this, this issue. And how you learned about, can you incorporate also how you learned about the team therapy model? Yeah, sure. I, um, well, I've kind of been a pastoral counselor since. Are my, you a pastor? Uh, you know, I don't really like to put labels on myself because I don't quite fit the mold. Did you go to the theology mold. school? No, no, uh, I didn't. I was, I was raised as an atheist and I had kind of a religious experience. I decided one summer I was going to spend every night sleeping under the stars. And during that experience, I, that summer, I had an experience where I believed in God. I'd never believed in God oh, before wow. then. And, um, and, and through that, I've uh, grown and, and made uh, tons of mistakes, tons of enemies, and, uh, and counseled lots of people and, and largely ineffectively. And so when I, I also work as an electrician, I've earned my living as an electrical contractor. Oh, wow. And uh, I, uh, I, was, I was listening to... Uh, That's what we're doing. Yeah. Electrical contracting, trying to get people's wiring. Exactly, right. it's really <laughs> not charge up the batteries. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. And it's so true, true. And, and I and I can actually sense it when I'm rewiring my brain. Yeah, because uh, it's happening, and and yeah. it's something you can. I can sense a change. Uh, anyway, so uh, I heard about. Uh, I was working out on the interstate at night and driving back, and I heard a back doctor, Doctor David Hanscom. Oh, you who was featured recently? Uh huh. Yep. Wow. I heard his, uh, he was on the late night radio. I was driving back in the middle of the night and I heard him talking about pain. And then he mentioned your book and, uh, wow. I, and, uh, and I ended up reading Feeling Good Together and oh. that just clicked for me, wow. especially the dark side. Oh you know, yeah. That part, uh, I was able to just, uh, um, I just loved the dark side of human nature. Yes. Yeah. In relationship problems. Yeah. yeah. Because it's such a hard thing to admit. Yeah. As soon as we admit it, we're free from it. Yeah. Right. And uh, and so for me, that was really liberating. Yeah. And and I the, agree. Whole, the five secrets was you know for in all my relationships, it was it was funny because I had known all these people in my world for say thirty years and been friends with them and we counseled and taught together and went around the world together. And when I learned the five secrets. It was like I was meeting them for the first time. Oh yeah! It was like I'd made all new relationships because it was I hadn't I hadn't listened honestly I hadn't listened to anybody. Yeah, but right. When I was reading uh, Feeling Good Together, I read it with a bunch of guys. We read it together, and I uh, we read the part on listening, and it's like, oh my gosh, I can't even repeat back what Barb says. Yeah, I, I can't yeah, do it. Yeah. Honestly, I can't do it, and it's been uh, at that point. I think it was probably seventeen years that I hadn't listened to really what Barb had been saying. So that's kind of how we, and then I went to David's Habits and Addiction seminar in Albuquerque. Oh, really? With Dan, Dan Menti? Yeah, Danny Menti. Oh, you were at that one. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, then, and that was right before Jill started her online training. Jill Levitt. Jill Dr. Levitt. Jill Levitt, yeah. yeah. And so I was able to, uh, I mean, I'm hoping this can be edited, but but the truth is, 
Uh, you were supposed to have a license when you signed up back then. And uh, I just lied and I wrote down a license number. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to, so get get in, get to get the into program. the training program because yeah. I love the training so much. I'll give you another secret. You know, Dave Frybush yeah. who's here, who's like my neighbor. Uh -huh. We just love him. I mean, he, he snuck into Jill's current online class. Mm -hmm. uh, and he, he's loving it. How did you like Jill as a teacher? Oh, she's out of the world. Out of this world. She's so smooth and such yeah. a great communicator. And she's just the modeling she does is fantastic. Well, people write to me all the time and say, oh, I'm not a licensed therapist. Can I sneak into your intensive coming up or mm -hmm. one of your... I've snuck into two of those. Yeah, yeah. And I always say you can sneak in as far as I'm concerned. I just teach at a basic fifth, fifth grade level, which should... Which is perfect include, for me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for me for me too. And um, uh, I, I think everyone can can benefit from, from these things for sure. Oh, yeah. It's been great for me. So, Rhonda... Um, you know, Rhonda, do you know Rhonda's going to India here sh shortly? Yeah, and fantastic. She, and she's like buddies with the Dalai Lama. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> and she, she's going, to, she's going to teach and meditate in silence in India for a month, as so many of us do. Yeah, so. exactly. So, you know, not... Right, I need it. I, I, I was thinking about uh, coming to be with you and do this podcast, and, and not like you're the Dalai Lama or anything, because I really like the part of you that's not Dalai Lama-ish. Uh, Even but, the Dalai Lama is not the Dalai Lama. Well, yeah, ish. I, probably, probably, but I don't know him. But uh, but I was thinking if I got the chance to go hang out with the Dalai Lama, uh, like Rhonda's going to do, I I wouldn't really want to be taught by him or have him impart some wisdom to me. But I'd really want to know, well, you know, what it's like being him. And so I guess that would be one of the things I'd love to find out about you. Like what it's like being this guy who's a uh, really world-renowned pioneer and yet at the same time you're getting old like me and you're a lot too a few years ago when i was at the intensive i couldn't keep up with you because i had blood blisters on my feet because i couldn't walk as fast as you and now i can so well, i haven't slowed down you're just speeding up <laughs> <laughs> oh, i've slowed down too yeah well i could answer that question for you uh, and uh it, it's really nice and amazing that uh, what we've created together with team therapy and with Rhonda and with Fabrice and Jill and, and Maor Katz with the Feeling Good Institute mm -hmm. and yourself, Steve, uh, holding down the fort in Colorado and Dipti Josh or Josh, whatever it is, in India, a wonderful person. It's amazing, really. Yehuda in Mexico City. Yeah, Yehuda. Yeah, that that uh, people are really finding truth and and power in what we've created and what so many people are contributing to. And and it's it's pretty amazing to me because I I grew up I was a minister's son and I know I grew up in in Denver and, until mm. seventh grade and then we moved to Phoenix and I remember mowing lawns for fifty cents uh, in Phoenix. And, you know, trying to save up $5 to go and buy a coin in a coin store. I was very fascinated with, with coin collecting. And I don't know if they still have the Highlander boys in Denver, but it was this uh, right-wing hmm. paramilitary group I had to join when I was seven. Really? Wow. And, and uh, we'd have to go after school every day and drill with guns and uh, very highly disciplined, just like being in the, uh, in the Army. Hmm. Uh, and uh, there, there, were, there were just just a lot of 
a lot of experiences then, but but I never uh, saw myself as uh, having any huge significance. My father was a minister, and uh, the day I was born, he said it was the only day he couldn't preach his sermon. And uh, I had mm. three older siblings who who were all adopted. Mm-hmm. And but I, I didn't know that they were they they were adopted, and my mom thought she she wouldn't be able to have children, and then unexpectedly got pregnant, and and then the day I was born was actually uh, I guess an early Sunday morning, mm-hmm. September nineteenth, and uh, he 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 named me David Dean Burns because he was Lyle Charles Burns D.D. He had an honorary Doctor of Divinity degree. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'll so I was going to be D D Burns, and he thought one day I'll be D D Burns D D. And when I was little, I just used to listen to his sermons and just think they were wonderful. And I was just sure I was going to be a minister when I when I grew up. But uh, but it didn't quite go in that in that direction. And you know I went in a much more secular direction. I, you know went to Amherst College and. A liberal arts education, and then ended up in medical school, and ended up as a psychiatrist. I know my dad used to hate psychiatrists, and he he, he thought they were, you know, like the devil, mm-hmm. the devil mm-hmm. incarnate, and and eventually I got pretty turned off to religion for for, for many reasons. Uh, but my dad seemed, I mean, he was wonderful. He had a great church. He was a great leader of of his church, and. Had, you know, many uh, you know people in the congregation built a, built a beautiful church in Denver and they built another beautiful church in in Phoenix. But there there seemed to be just a lot of judgmentalism mm. there. Like mm. Jews were okay as long as you know they found Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Mm. And if they didn't, of course, they were going to burn in hell. And he didn't see that as judgmental. Oh, yeah, that's just the truth, right? And, uh, yeah, and, uh, and 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 things and things like that that just, just kind of really hurt me and angered me, and uh, and I I see it in religions all over the world today. The evangelical, I mean, you guys might be evangelical for all I know; it'd be hard to believe. But the evangelicals, they're, they're always trying to hurt somebody who doesn't stand up for their beliefs or or the Muslims, or, and I just, um, I mean, it's just kind of corny and trite, my thinking, but it just seems like a lot of the worst evil in the world is is, is propagated in the name of some kind of God or, or religion. Well, I, I mean, yeah. an extreme form. I mean, there's beautifulness, there's beauty in every religion, and there's extreme, yeah. there, and there can be danger in every religion, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But you were talking, I mean, to answer Steve's question, you were talking before about sometimes with with me and other people in the Tuesday group about how sometimes it is difficult to be in the position of being, you know, the head of well, this. Well, it is. It is. Yeah, there's a downside to it. You know, it's amazing to me, uh, and I'm very grateful. You know, I get beautiful emails every day, almost pretty much from people says, "Oh, you saved my life. You're my hero," and and it's wonderful to see the impact on on colleagues like yourself with intelligence and talent and Rhonda and people who were obviously brilliant and, and feel like there's some something of value here. But at the same time, it's a bit of a curse too, Steve, because uh, 
you know, I do a kind of teaching that involves giving specific critical feedback uh, on role, role play. Right. Uh, and and people will say, well, I'll give you a B on that, or I gave uh, someone an F today on the hike. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not criticizing you. I'm, I'm saying here, here you didn't use thought empathy, you didn't use feeling empathy, and this is, is, is not going to go in the direction you want. This was a role play on how to relate to a, a guy who's pursuing this beautiful young woman on the hike, and she wants tips. How should she communicate with him skillfully? And mm -hmm. she's a fantastic and a quick learner. So, But I'm giving her specific tips on, on here's skillful ways to communicate, here's mm -hmm. traps to avoid, here's how to refine, you know, when he made that statement that upset you. Yeah. What's an effective way to, mm -hmm. to respond? And, and she's a delight to work with because she just takes it as training. And so she's learning super fast mm -hmm. and she's going to learn these killer techniques to wrap men around her fingers. I, I promise. But are there that. other people who, like, if you give them a harsh grade, because yeah. how yeah. do they react to you? Yeah. And they, but the other side is a lot of people, they come to the group, they can't distinguish their uh, performance from their self. Mm. So if I say, I give you a C yeah. on that role play and here are the mistakes you made, they feel that David, who's a guru, is criticizing their self. Right, and they'll become ex extremely agitated and upset and angry and anxious, and so it put, puts a curse on me. I actually uh, had that experience. Uh, um, I because of I wasn't able to keep up with you, uh, unintensive about three or four years ago. I was walking behind and in, in, in a hike in a hike down yeah. on by the bay, and several oh, there, yeah. several several people um, that you had talked to where they would get back to where I was and they would be grumbling about that, that their feelings were hurt yeah. and they were feeling put down or judged or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, and I have to say, I admire them a lot because uh, as we were talking, I said, you know, the thing I like about David is, um, and I didn't really know you very well, but mm -hmm. I got the sense that uh, I could be real with you. And if I was feeling yeah. a certain way, I could just tell you how I'm feeling. Yeah. And uh, I said, why don't you go tell him you're feeling pissed off or you're yeah. upset or you're feeling hurt and just let him know, you know, I, I, I think, I mean, I don't know that it's true, but I think probably from time to time you could act like an asshole. No what? Mate. No mm -hmm. mate. I think, I, <laughs> crap, I was, that was the part I was liked about you. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I do it all the time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I can. And, and uh, anyway, so I think that would be frustrating, like you said, because you're giving really direct feedback and sometimes people are probably they're hurt and they don't tell you. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's equally angers me mm -hmm. because they don't won't tell me because oh, David is an ogre. Mm -hmm. So he can't tolerate being criticized. So I'll, mm -hmm. I'll harbor these, these negative feelings. Or someone mm -hmm. has you on a pedestal and they're that's afraid the same to thing. tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and, uh, so it, it's upsetting to me, and, and sometimes, to be honest with you, it, it angers me, and, mm -hmm. and I kind of resent it. But, but uh, you know, I'm not—I don't whine and complain about it, and the, the good far outweighs the bad. But I, I feel what happened is people are perfectionistic, and they criticize themselves, mm -hmm. and then they project it onto me, and, and mm -hmm. say David is judging me or rejecting me or criticizing me, and mm -hmm. I'm saying no, I'm just trying to show you. How to modify the way you communicate and become more effective. So it's 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 a mixed thing, and there are times when it causes me tremendous pain. To, mm. to be honest, and 
and, and most of the time it, it's a source of, of, of tremendous joy. It's, it, mm-hmm. it's a privilege, but it's, it's, everything has, has two sides to it. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for, thanks for saying that. Um, yeah, I feel sad hearing that it's how much pain it causes you. Well, I wouldn't go overboard on it, uh, but uh, what, what, what's that mean? Let's talk about Steve. Let's talk. You no, know, I think to talk about me is good. Yeah, no, I have a great story to tell. And, you know, we, we'll have you on the podcast sometime and talk about you. Well, t- tell us. Some, I, I, some I really stuff. wanted to ask those that's questions. That's a really great. That's a great question, uh, and we have our answer. And let's okay. just now let's move on to what what you're about, Steve. Oh, okay. Well, um, what I'm about now is um, things are. These last two years, things have been wildly different for me. I, year and what barb three months ago uh, i was diagnosed having blood cancer sorry and uh it was shocking yeah uh-huh. it basically turned our world upside down as it would for anybody with a diagnosis sure. like multiple myeloma or any other cancer yeah um, and so in 10 minutes i thought i just had bone pain i thought i'd maybe hurt myself working uh uh doc comes in and goes uh pretty sure you have blood cancer and i just said uh i've heard crazy things in the er before i'm not going to believe it and so the next doc came in about 10 minutes later and said what percentage are you sure uh, that i might have blood cancer and he said about 95. oh shocking yeah and so uh, devastating it was scary Uh, and my dad was in dad was in there with my, my my dad's 80 nine he was, now he's yeah. eight then he, he was in there and he just started crying and said oh i wish it was me oh, wow. so so since then uh things have been different uh, well we've I've never taken pills i've never i've been healthy my whole life and uh, and i was a little surprised uh when you'd sent me a the message about doing something on aging is like oh I'm only 60, how old am I? 63. 63, I'm not aging. Uh, but honestly, in the last year, I've probably aged more than, uh, I, I don't know. I can't do things that, that I used to be able to do and can't pick stuff up. I have holes in every bone in my body. And, uh, so I, so it makes sense uh, that we did something on aging. Uh, I, you know, I, my vision, you can't tell by looking at me, but I have double vision. So, oh, yeah, uh, it's, it's confu- irritating. It's, yeah, irritating and really confusing. And uh, so, uh, and I've had side effects from the, from the meds on. I had cataracts, cataract surgery because I got cataracts from the meds. Um, I'm on four different kinds of chemo drugs. Good, good part of this, the uh, cancer numbers are dropping. So, uh, and, uh, and actually, uh, I think Barb and I, at least, at least, I think for the most part, we're feeling really pretty excited about life. Well, we are. We decided we want to be sure to make every second count. Yeah. And changed our priorities a bit, yeah. and that's been really good. And it's a win-win situation because um, no matter what happens, we'll have had that really valuable quality time together. So that's been one of our big changes. It hasn't been without pain and difficulty, but um, 
but it's we've also decided we want to accept this as much as possible and live and steve has done a really good job of that steve has um gone forward and continued with his goals for the most part he he, he loves to visit people he loves to love people and and i'm really proud of him he's doing that so it's it's been it's been a ride but it's been it has it has had some really good consequences in our lives too thank you um you say it's been been rough at times i i know one way it's been rough for you sometimes that i've observed on at least two or three occasions on on hikes is when you've talked about like that when when you saw the x-ray of your neck and your bones were paper thin or practically vanished i know yeah. you're in like a neck brace uh, fairly elaborate right now and have been the last two times i've seen you too and how terrifying that that was for you and that um, people on the hikes who have tried to empathize or to provide support have have not been effective mm. and uh, it's been fr fr frustrating for you perhaps a, a general phenomenon could could you talk about that just just a moment conceivably between the two of you as as well but yeah i think it's um i think it's really hard for uh, us as humans to actually use or use the five secrets and empathize um, maybe when we don't know what to say to someone, I mean, the first person I remember asked me what this deal is on my neck. I was in a, a feed and tax store and I, and I think he might've been drunk. And when I told him, uh, I got blood cancer, he, you know, he was, oh, bullshit, bullshit. What, you know, like what really happened to you? Oh yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and my neighbor next door laughed at me. He said, "Stop talking! You know that's, that's bad. That's funny. a bad joke. Not bad. That's not funny." And I think that's it's hard to it's a hard pill to swallow for people, and we don't yeah. really know what to say. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. So, but 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 for me, uh, it'd be uh, just great for somebody to just be there with me and feel sad with me, yeah. and not try and cheer me up. Yeah. Or fix me or give me an advice or the magic bullet cure for cancer. Do you get frustrated and annoyed when people don't do that, when they try to cheer you up or? I, I used to more than I do now. Uh, now I'm uh, reconciled. Well, no, I'm actually trying to get, disarm them actually in my mind. I'm kind of doing preemptive disarming after uh, I was in, uh, I was in chemo with my dad one time and uh, uh, also the one of the side effects of these strong steroids I'm on, I'm on is mood swings and when I, they had me on massive doses of steroids and I uh, had like zero tolerance and zero patience not just like a little bit like zero. Oh, and uh, irritable very irritable and you know it wouldn't make any difference what anyone said I would snap at them and so I oh, told wow. this chemo nurse who was getting ready to give me chemo uh, just kind of like heads up I'm on this steroid and I'm really not you know I, I snap at people and I don't really you know it's just like instant and she just looked at me and she says well if you do that with me I'm gonna smack you upside the head and uh, and then she caught herself and walked away and then as she mumbled as she walked away 
did I just say that? And uh, anyway, so I think that's the kind of, and so I, I was able to put myself in her situation and she'd been doing it for 17 years and watching people come in and die. Yeah. And it was kind of like Dave asked in the last podcast is like, is she doing that just to distance herself? Yeah. Uh, and so I've been, um, it's not as irritating for me as it used to be. It used to be yeah, pretty, I, I feel pretty pissed off about it. Yeah. Thanks for asking. So, so there's probably been uh, not only some some anger, but but maybe some some loneliness at times. I'm just wondering. Oh yeah, yeah. I felt lonely a lot. Uh, it's it's uh, it's um, and I'm not sure how you, how I you wouldn't because you kind of go through it alone. You're, yeah. Uh, so I have felt lonely. Yeah. Yeah, because when you're like you're when you're getting chemo treatments, I mean, it's just you in the chair. It's true. You can have a lot of people around you, uh, and and I do. I have a lot of people yeah. come visit and hang out. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line is, you still feel that stuff going into your. Uh, I got a, a, a hookup right here, port. So uh -huh. uh, it's you're doing it. Yourself. How have you been helped through the team therapy structure or model? I mean, have you worked with a team therapist, or have you used the techniques with yourself? Well, yeah, I've used the techniques with myself. I've uh, probably a little bit differently than normal, but um, I, I kind of uh, one of the when I was first diagnosed is. Um, uh, it's going to sound strange, but. Uh, I, I was taking a shower and a lot of the, my mm, cool teen epiphanies, I call them, uh, happen when I'm taking a shower and just relaxed and warm. And I was thinking, well, I've got cancer uh, in this body, uh, but I don't really know that. It, uh, but I don't really think my body's me. It's a part of me, but it's not me. Uh, and it, and uh, I had this idea that... Um, instead of going to war with my body or going to war with cancer, uh, I'm going to welcome it. And that, and so that's what I did. It's like, okay, you're part of me. You're this cancer is part of me. It's part of this body. It's part of what's going on in my body. I don't know. What, and I only just believe it because somebody told me it's there. I don't even, I don't see it. I don't have any evidence other than my bones don't work. Uh, and so, but I'm going to just invite it in and see what happens. And instantly, uh, it was like, I, I wasn't afraid of it anymore and I wasn't at war with it. And so I felt, and it sounds odd. I know that sounds really weird. And I, when I t try and tell that to my Christian friends, uh, they think I've like made a pact with the devil. Uh, oh really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Because it's a, it's the enemy. It should be healthy. Uh, so for me, that was, that really was. All these uh, judgments that people have all the time. Yeah. But to yeah. me, it sounds like you're facing the enemy and, you know, like, you know, we would talk about Buddhism all the time, but one of the things that, you know, Buddhism teaches is that your enemy is your best teacher. Yeah. And I, I honestly, I don't feel like I have any enemies and, and cancer is not one. Uh, I mean, it's part of my blood. I don't want to be at war with my own body. 
I know the yeah. acceptance thing you're you're talking about. Uh, I don't have anything as dramatic to cope with as what you're talking about, but I I feel that way about aging in yeah. general. You know, like mm -hmm. I'm run real slowly now. Most people can't distinguish it from walking. I don't know why, because it <laughs> feels pretty damn fast to me. Uh, but uh, to me, it's like I don't care how fast or slow I am. The cats don't care. Mm. Uh, you, you know, just the body is just changing and uh, don't make a big deal out of it. We're, we're not big medical consumers. I kind of have a doctor phobia, even though I am a doctor. <laughs> yeah. I'm afraid you go to a doctor and they're going to find something wrong with you. So just stay away yeah. and you'll be fine. That's kind of my philosophy. And that was my theory too, except it didn't work. Yeah, well, <laughs> everything has its limits. Right? Yeah, my, I ran that limit to the extreme. <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah, just, uh, yeah. But I if like I get something you're... real bad, like if I broke a, my foot, I went and got a cast. I mean, yeah, yeah. If you, if you, uh, you know, as we get older, uh, our bodies, you know, they don't function like they used to. They just don't. Yeah. And uh, like you said, it's not the speed, or maybe you know, you might not be able to walk. Uh, I've got if this if I have the, this bone breaks. There's a chance I'll be quadriplegic, but yeah. I'm pre I'm pretty positive that I can be content. Uh, yeah. In however however I live, I'm I'm positive of that. Well, just to get back, I mean, I, I, words are so powerful, and I didn't mean to say that cancer was your enemy. Because when you were saying that in the shower, you had the exact opposite experience where you welcomed it. Yeah. Into your life, and that was part of what you know the the acceptance paradox, and and then you know instead instead of it being the devil, it was like a friend of yours. Well, yeah. was, is that, the, that sounds so like naive and dumb to say it that way. What, what, what did you mean? I, I think I just accepted it as part of something that's going on in my body and I'm not going to go to war with my body. Mm -hmm. I'm going to accept it and go, okay, I'm, you know, I'll do whatever I can to live. Mm -hmm. I want, I'd like to be able to walk. Mm -hmm. I, I'm doing chemotherapy. I'm pretty excited about living. How was today's hike for you? How was what? How was the hike today for you? The hike was good. It was invigorating. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, I also wanted to take a nap when we were done, but it was invigorating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that will come soon. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I always take a nap too in this afternoon mm -hmm. after a hike. So, are you saying, David, that you accept? Is it easy for you to accept your body changing? I guess is my question. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh -huh, right. I've got I've got this thing here, you know, Dupe oh, trans contracture. It's not a big deal. Yeah. I've had it for like thirty years, uh -huh. and now they have you can have surgery for it, Did and I... now they have a new non-surgical thing they're promoting on television. Uh -huh. But you know, I could I guess I could get it fixed, but you know, I can it it works good enough. You can still I can type do what you need to do or want to do. Yeah, like so I don't, I just I mean I'm not trying to give myself as a model, probably people should go to the doctor more often. But, you know, I don't ever go. And Kaiser just constantly pesters me with phone calls mm. and letters and emails. To, you know, they have this idea you're supposed to come in and do all these prophylactic things and oh, get all these right. checks, checkouts and, and stuff and I, I don't go for any of that stuff. I do get a flu shot. I think that, mm -hmm. that yeah. makes sense. And I had a pneumonia shot, mm -hmm. the, the uh, preventive thing. Yeah. But I'm just saying how how I how I experience it. I don't. So you're not on any kind of meds or anything like that, are you? No, 
See, and that's, I've never been on meds and now I have side effects. So like my shaking, I don't know if you can feel me vibrate. Oh yeah. I'm vibrating from the inside out because I'm coming off of drugs. I'm withdrawing. Oh from yeah. And I've never, you know, I've never been like a drug user or anything, but I'm vibrating from the inside yeah. out. And, and so those are like other things, Rhonda, that I'm accepting is my body's doing this stuff. Uh, it's like uncontrollable and, and at the same time, it's just kind of, um, I'm not going to fight it. I'm just going to experience it. And, uh, when it shakes, it shakes. And then, uh, I'm really good at hypnosis and I can hypnotize myself and I can make it stop if I want to, but, um, that, uh, but for the most part, it's do, it does kind of uncontrollable stuff that I wasn't expecting. So. Let me ask you this 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 question. It's probably a BSy question, but uh, I'm trying to find some theme for our, for our show. But I think you're a, a religious or maybe even a Christian counselor. Mm -hmm. And it, what would be the uh, spiritual message in in what you're going through? I know that uh, Marilyn Coffey, who has mm -hmm. been on the, the show as recently mm -hmm. as if a few weeks ago, I think it was yeah. published, mm -hmm. uh, now has her metastases to her brain and her mm -hmm. liver and her lymph nodes and her both lungs now and her, her bones and things. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, she has come on the show and has talked about her, her fear of death, her fear really of the unknown, mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and also uh, questioning, uh, is, is there an afterlife? And, and feeling like she's a religious failure because she's she's lost her faith at times mm. and uh, I, I saw her just the other day and and she had just spent a week at the monastery in, mm. up in northern california and, and meditating and having really a beautiful week with, with her dogs but the odd thing is is that people have written in uh, that uh, marilyn is my spiritual hero and all she does mm. is get on the show and talk about how scared she is and mm. how, 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 how she's you know what a terrible Catholic she is because she's lost her faith and her, mm -hmm. her anger and her her doubt. But there's something about that that's been so he healing to, mm -hmm. to to people. And I wonder if there's any spiritual aspect to what you're going through. And if that's a total BS question, I would totally agree. So you can just table the question if you want. Um, maybe I'll throw that to Barb. I don't know how to answer that for you. I'm throwing it back, I guess. Okay, well, I, for me, I, I love the acceptance paradox. I didn't know what the acceptance paradox was. I knew what I did and how, how it worked for me before I found out uh, your name for it. Uh, so I, from the first moment I ever heard you say the acceptance paradox is like, oh my gosh, that's what I've been doing for really decades. Yeah. Uh, because it set me free. Yeah. And, it's a spiritual concept. Yeah. It is. And so, and to be able to have, um, that acceptance of whatever I am and everybody else uh, was really inclusive to me and uh, and I felt close to people through that and so I think maybe in uh, for me uh, even though I felt lonely at times going through this I've also felt super connected uh, with a lot of different people that are in the team world as well as in other other realms of my life you cry very easily. Yeah, I cry. And and do, does this help you in your counseling? Like if you're with somebody who's suffering 
do the tears then come to your eyes? Yeah. And does the concept does of, of that being a spiritual experience, does that have any meaning to you? Yeah, I think it does. I, for, for me, I feel like I can, uh, uh, through the thought and feeling empathy, but also just uh, uh, being able to cry, I, I can, uh, in a sense, connect and enter into where the person's suffering. suffering. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you'd mentioned about crying the other day. As, uh, I woke up in the middle of the night. I cry a lot. I cry probably every day. And wow. I, I probably laugh more than I have ever but i so i laugh and i cry a lot and um and the other night i i i, I woke up and i just uh i was just crying and crying and crying and um and it was uh, uh it was a uh, kind of a joyful cry where i felt connected uh yeah 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 right and right and, and not just to a few people but to uh, you know, my sense of it is, it's, it's probably going to sound hokey, but it's almost like I get a chance to be, this is a part of me that it gets to connect with humanity. And, and yeah. pretty much everybody I know is suffering in some way. Well, can, can I tell a really bizarre story? Yeah. Um, you know, it's always been hard for me to cry because when I was in this paramilitary organization, we had to go to summer camp and drill and stuff. And, and once they forgot to change the guard, and I was guarding the infirmary. I was probably eight, and it was in the, oh. up in the Colorado mountains, and it was cold and dark, and and I realized they'd forgotten about me. And, and then these two men who were like, you know, at the organization walked past, and I started crying, and they they took me over behind the cafeteria or something and said, I think we're going to whip you because, oh. you know, a man doesn't cry. And then the other says, well, maybe we've scared him enough. Just tell him he better not cry. And hmm. Uh, so nothing awful happened, but after that, it, it became really difficult for, for me to, to cry. Mm. And then when I was in medical school, I went, uh, they used to have these psychodrama marathons. Now, this had nothing to do with Sanford Medical School. It was this lay thing in Palo Alto by this guru, Hussein Chung, who had something called the Human Institute. And it was a very extreme form of psychodrama. Mm. And so I, I did an internship there, and I went to my first marathon just at Hidden Village, just a half a mile from, from here. And they would rent a house for a weekend, and you'd be in there for 48 hours with people, about 35 people. And one by one, you'd get confronted until you broke down. Mm -hmm. And it was exciting and amazing, but terrifying. And finally, I got in, in the middle, and this friend... Uh, Got behind me, started squeezing me, and they started saying, "Here's what you're thinking," and 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 stuff. And and finally, the the tears came out, and I started sobbing, and it was it was a great relief. Mm -hmm. And then they kind of there's the cheering, or they pick you up and throw you in the air, or something. And it, <laughs> but it was you know it was very dramatic, and powerful things happened. Uh, but 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 then we were sitting in a circle, and then I looked at this woman's face, and I saw these. Uh, how they used to put, when they were getting radiation for cancer, purple mark on the face so they'd know where to aim mm -hmm. the radiation. And she had that on her face, and I saw it, and I started crying. Mm -hmm. And they said, what are you crying about? And I said, well, that woman over there is going to die. Mm -hmm. uh, 
And they said, what do you mean? I said, I, I can see the radiation marks on, on her face. Mm. And they said to her, are you getting radiation for, for cancer? And she said, no, but I am dying. And I'm, I'm just dying inside because I feel so lonely. Aww. And she just started sobbing also. Oh. And it was it was a it was a very uh, meaningful experience. Uh, I, I didn't connect it too heavily at the time, but it was, you know, it was like I could see inside of her, yeah, uh, kind of like because I was opened up. And then um, later on, I, I had this this friend named uh, Sergio. He was kind of became my mentor. He was kind of kind of an underworld figure, to be honest with you, but he was like this tough guy, and I was this naive, nerdy medical student, and so we, we kind of became friends in a way, and he said this bizarre thing. He used to say, people in psychodrama used to say crazy things. I know there's so many people are going to hear this, you can think I'm a loony, which I am. <laughs> but uh, but, but he, he said, you know, if you really want to have a religious experience, you have to go out in the desert alone, because that's what Jesus did, and that's what Moses did. And, and he said, that's just, and I said, well, why is that? He says, well, there aren't other people to, you know, it comes down from God. <laughs> and if you're out on the desert alone, it'll like come, come to you. He can aim better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> can aim better. And so I had to drive home uh, from uh, Stanford to Phoenix, and I drove, drove across the Nevada desert. And uh, I, the first night I, I slept out, you know, on my sleeping bag out there in the desert. And then the next day I got in my old VW Beetle to keep driving toward Phoenix. Mm. And all of a sudden I just started crying. Mm. And I started thinking about all the people I knew. Mm. Like I might have thought of you, but I didn't know you. And, and I, I know <laughs> that you, you have some pain inside and yeah. you've had some hurt. But we always laugh and stuff. You know what I mean? And yeah. we have a great relationship. But like that's hidden uh and and i started thinking and every person i thought of i would just start sobbing and Wait, i would realize hidden? huh what's hidden the, the, pain, the pain inside the well pe until you know someone like i don't think a lot i think of the pain that i have inside you 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 probably know that better than a lot of other people sure and, sure and yeah absolutely yes. but but it just dawned on me that that everyone i knew and might have been a delusion had 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 this pain inside that I hadn't noticed, mm. and I would just start sobbing. Mm. And then I looked at the clouds as I was driving, and they all became rectangular and multicolored. Now, this mm. was not a drug experience, <laughs> but it was like, kind of like what might be like an really? LSD experience, but yeah. there was, was, was no drug. And this went on for several hours, yeah. just crying constantly, mm. and it was a very joyous experience. Yeah. And then I, I stopped to eat, and I walked in, in a cafe, uh, and I saw this woman sitting with her family, and then I started sobbing again because I, I, I felt like I think she's in pain. And, and this is what is really weird, and boy, I, my reputation's going right down the drain right now. But I looked at a lamp, and I thought I could see like the, the essence of the lamp was also kind of in a state of sadness, or mm. I could, felt like I could see the... <laughs> I know Ron is laughing sarcastically, <laughs> but there was like a spiritual... No, I think that is thing. spiritual. It sounds very. Uh, spiritual. Uh, it sounds like a really spiritual experience until you get yeah, to the lamp. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, and then I thought of this this woman uh, that used to uh, cook, cook meals for us. She was in my dad's congregation, Mary Ann, and her husband mm. John. 
and and we used to uh, go over to their house because they they loved my dad and I think they were relative Swedish relatives from Minnesota going way back. But she was really a heavy alcoholic, mm. and we'd go over to their house for dinner after services, and she'd be just staggering around and slurring her speech, but still having prepared this most incredible. Uh, dinner for us, and it was kind of sad. And my my folks said that it was because they thought she she always wanted a baby, and her only baby died in childbirth. Mm. And then they then they could never have another mm. child, and that that's how they explained it to themselves. But I I thought of her, and I just started mm. sobbing. It's just like it it hit me, mm. that type of thing. And then uh, I saw other weird things happened, and I finally made it back to to Phoenix, and then. A couple years later, I asked my dad. I said, "Whatever happened to to Marianne and, uh, and her husband John?" And, and he said, "Oh, oh, she, oh, she suddenly stopped drinking right out of the blue." And, and I said, "Well, when when did that happen?" And this was the odd thing. He said, "It happened just at that time that you you drove hmm. from Stanford to Phoenix." It was just a, a weird a weird thing. And then I I had this thought, boy, this is it's really wonderful to be able to experience these things. Maybe this is what I want to devote my life to, because because this is what spirituality is: is that God can only come to us through our suffering, and that if you're suffering, if there's no distortions in your thoughts, it's a form of celebration. That, that those tears, that was mm. the highest experience of my life. Mm. And then I I got the message, kind of like, well, uh, David, this is not for you. Uh, if you try to pursue this thing, you're gonna, you know, just have a flaky life. But what you have to do is finish medical school and do something practical in the world, and then maybe when you're an old person, uh, this message will come back to you, uh, and then you'll be able to 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 say things to people that they will accept and understand as having some spiritual validity. So there, there, there's that kooky thing for, for whatever it's worth. But I've never told that to anyone because it sounds so psychotic and, and crazy. Uh, but I've always felt that if we if we had a strong technology, and that's what I've tried to create with mm. Team CBT, but to combine it with compassion, like mm. what you, yeah. you have and, and what you bring to people, then maybe that's that's what makes miracles happen. And, and mm. when I'm working in Team CBT with people, I often see, as you know, Rhonda, I, I should shut up, I'm just talking too much, but that people recover very rapidly. And to me, that, that seems very much, very much like a, a miracle. Mm. Uh, that that it, it just good technology with, with compassion. Yeah. Uh, that, that... It, it looks miraculous, but it's, I, I, I like what you were saying there with the mirror is that, uh, for me, I I look at all these tools and techniques and the technology as like spiritual, spiritual tools are from my perspective. Yeah, spiritual techniques, spiritual exercises. Team is spiritual exercises. Uh, that's what that's what I think. How I think. Of yeah, it. yeah, and uh, so, and and it works. You know, yeah, that's the thing. It's very is practical. It, it's practical and it, and it works. And so, do you all think, folks all think I'm a kook now? You boy, already, I already thought that. You've always thought that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm okay. lucky enough to know that it's actually so partly so, true. Hey, can I ask you another question? Okay. Is there or is there something else that you wanted to add? Well, I just I, like I have to say, have to. like one of the yes. things that 
I, I appreciate David saying, uh, and I, I think I heard it on a, a tape or something, uh, where you said, uh, you, you believe everything you're saying 100%, right? Yeah. Uh, but you're pretty sure that probably half of everything you're saying is horseshit. Yeah, or, or bullshit, one or the other. Either one, but so... so, so, so <laughs> who I've, wants to be normal? But I've said that, to, I've told a couple of people that because for me, that just makes so much sense. And that it's just, it's got, it just resonates with me so much. But I've told a couple of people that and one person said, well, what am I supposed to do with that? It's like, I'm, the guru says that, now I'm, now I'm really confused. And then another person thought it was disingenuous and I thought, wow, that seemed like the most... Uh, genuine thing uh, because it's so real yeah. from my perspective. You have to use your critical thinking and you can believe something very strongly that turns out not to be true. I used to do a lot of statistical modeling on the computer right here mm -hmm. and using just powerful statistical tools to test hypotheses and and uh, and what the, the, the results of the analyses nearly always show that your hypothesis can't possibly be correct. Huh. Mm -hmm. And if, you, if you're open to that, then you can correct your thinking and come up with a, a hypothesis that does fit, fit the data. But uh, I, I think we all have to be, uh, be humble because you can believe something so strongly and then, and then find out that, that your thinking was off and grow and, yeah, and, and learn. So Rhonda, what else were you going to Well, you know, I'm trying to... Um, we've only known each other since this summer. Mm -hmm. I know you've known Heather for really long, Heather Clegg, who's been on the podcast for much longer because you've been in a, you know, a consultation group with her. Uh -huh. um, and just the brief time that we spent together and that and the intensive and the couple meals we had together, I just, if it's possible in such a short time to grow to love someone, I, I grew to love you in those moments. Mm -hmm. well, thanks for saying Yeah. I feel the same way. <laughs> and, and I actually... You know, the first hike I went on was the first time I met you, and uh, and I kind of like pushed your button, and uh, I, I don't. That was also the first time I, David and I lip kissed. So uh, <laughs> we can do that. No, just don't tell my wife. <laughs> <laughs> and his wife's sitting here. I want to say something because it dovetails with if it can I please with what Amira was saying earlier that compassion goes a long way and you've got all these tools yeah uh, and the five secrets are great and then you've got your methods but it's the compassion that they allow to be conveyed to the people who come to you that really make the difference the yeah. tools work but genuinely when they're done genuinely with compassion yeah. and that and if they're done they... mechanically, it's just so annoying to see. And mm -hmm. people are trying so hard to learn these tools that I've created or we're trying to teach. Rhonda's trying to teach. Jill is trying to teach. And uh, it's it just show, so hard to, to show how have somebody to use the, the tools in a loving, spontaneous way. We're trying to make ma magic mm -hmm. happen. And I know that you're suffering and, and to, to be able to paraphrase how the person feels and how the person is thinking mm -hmm. and, and to convey that and touch into that, that. warmth yeah. yeah and this is like the, the the combination of high tech and high spiritual i would say yeah say. it's really beautiful and something you know like backing up just a little bit about when you were talking about crying yeah uh, and feeling the sadness of uh, the people in the world and the things that were suffering around yeah. you uh, you know i was 
I was a little bit surprised because I've not, I, I don't look at myself as a therapist. I don't think I've, you know, I do team CBT, but I don't ever feel, I feel like it's a, some, an, an exercise for me to move with people in a different realm. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and, and as I got to hang out with more therapists, which was really not my world, uh, I was shocked to, uh, see how much they suffer oh yeah uh and uh, yeah, those the are, they're really hard on themselves yeah and they have such high standards and they're such caring loving people uh but they are uh, I, I, was, I was surprised actually that they were hurting so bad yeah and i think they're they also have this um you know kind of like maybe your dad or uh spiritual leaders have the they have this status thing where like we're supposed to have our stuff together we're supposed to know how to live life without suffering and, oh yeah and yeah. Uh, we should have our stuff together and yeah. other words how can we help anyone else uh, and uh, and for me to be able to enter in and suffer and cry with a therapist has been eye-opening just to be able to cry together yeah i used to have the feeling after that experience in nevada that you know what I've, I've said so many times that we, we go around asleep mm, absolutely. And we just interact with people and we we don't see what's just just behind the surface yeah, and right. I, I sometimes feel that if if we were open we'd just be sobbing all day long because mm. we would see people and we mm. would see what, what what's being hidden and that mm. to be maybe truly enlightened that, that that's what you would be seeing but i would also say that it was a very positive experience mm. that this is the spiritual yeah. this is what spirituality is yeah is is is, is, is and, connection because well, when you were yeah. in the new mexico when you were in new mexico and you were going through that you it sounded like you were able to really experience the depth of the importance these various people are to you oh and yeah that, and that's what this yeah and that's what spirituality is to me is the connection between people yeah mm. and that and that the concept that most people can't grasp is that weeping sadness see all emotions result from thoughts and if you have distorted thoughts then you have depression and anxiety and the things that we want to help make dis disappear but that these distortions in interfere with with healthy sadness yeah. and that he healthy sadness is the highest experience a human being can have if, if if the thoughts that are generating it are not are not distorted mm -hmm. thoughts for, for what that's worth that sadness is a form of celebration mm -hmm. yeah that's beautiful well on that really incredible note maybe we should end the podcast is there anything else that you want to say steve or barbara Dave? Uh, i'd just like to repeat that sadness is a, a beautiful form of celebration yeah, yeah, that's really great. Thanks for seeing me. Well, thank you everyone for listening and see you next time. Bye-bye. This has been another episode of the Feeling Good Podcast. For more information, visit Dr. Burns' website at feelinggood.com, where you will find the show notes for this episode under the podcast page. You will also find archives of previous episodes and many resources for therapists and non-therapists. We welcome your comments and questions. If you want to support the show, please share the podcast with people who might benefit from it. You could also go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. 
The theme music is Gypsy Jazz in Paris, 1935, composed and performed by Brett Van Donzel. I am your host, Rhonda Borowski. We hope you enjoyed this episode. I invite you to join us next time for another episode of the Feeling Good Podcast. Thank you.